Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited to have Vicky Price back on the show. Vicky is Chief Economic Advisor and a board member at the Center for Economics and Business Research. She was previously Senior Managing Director at FTI Consulting, Director General for Economics at the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills, and Joint Head of the UK Government Economic Service. Before that, she was partner at the accounting and consulting firm KPMG after senior economic positions in banking and the oil sector. Now, in this podcast interview, we talk about what is going on in the UK and global economy right now. We talk about the surge in inflation, rising energy costs, the rise in interest rates, and whether monetary policy will be effective in controlling inflation. I asked Vicky whether the central banks should have stepped in a lot sooner and whether we're headed for a UK and global recession. I hope you enjoy this podcast interview as much as I did. Vicky, welcome back. It's great to have you on the show again. Thank you very much. Very nice to be, have been asked to come back. And how the economy and the markets have changed since you were last on. I think we spoke back in October of last year and things are looking quite different now. So can you share a summary of where the UK and global economy is right now and what's happened in the last few months to get us to where we are today? What we have seen is a slowdown in the pace of recovery. We had done reasonably well as a world economy coming out of COVID and that looked like it was going to continue through 2022. I mean, remember, in most countries, we had gone back to pre-pandemic levels by the end of 2021, not much above. It depends, of course, who you're looking at. Yes, China, of course, much earlier than anyone else. And yes, the US, but much more difficult in places like Europe, which were still sort of struggling in a way with loads and loads of restrictions and the easing of those restrictions happened a little bit later in some countries. But overall, what we were seeing was that we were getting back to some sort of normality. The one worry that everybody had was that inflation was picking up because, of course, supply couldn't quite meet the demands which had been sort of waiting to be released, if you like, for so many months. And we had supply chain problems. We had an increase in energy costs happening already. We had up to a point food prices going up, but generally quite a lot of shortages of manufacturing inputs that were needed, semiconductors and freight rates had gone up. But that was more or less to be expected, that there would be a period where supply and demand wouldn't be in balance. And central bankers and everyone else were just waiting for that to sort itself out. And then, of course, we had the war in Ukraine and the Russian invasion that took place in late February. And that changed the picture very, very significantly, I'm afraid. So what we're seeing right now is a real slowdown in that pace of growth. And people are talking about stagflation, not growth anymore, but very little improvement in activity and high inflation, which many fear would be very, very difficult to control. So let's talk about inflation because we're at 9% CPI as of April. This is in the UK. And I remember we talked about whether inflation was going to be transitory or not. 
And certainly the narrative that we were hearing in the UK and in the US, all over the world, actually, was that inflation was going to be transitory, nothing to worry about. So what's going on there? And I guess what everyone is thinking is, can we get it back down to the target 2%? Because that's what the Bank of England is ultimately aiming for. Is that realistic? Some believe that we're unlikely to ever get back to 2%. When you look at some of the forecasts that are still there now, including from the International Monetary Fund, including also from the Bank of England that you mentioned, they are expecting that we get back to target, in other words, sort of 2% in the next couple of years. In fact, by 2023, we'll be more or less there, just above it. And a year later, we may well be below it. And the reason for that is not so much the raising of interest rates, although that of course, is happening already in many parts of the world. And the European Central Bank is going to be announcing some of that itself pretty soon and embarking on this. It's taken a bit of time. But it's also this general slowdown that we're seeing in confidence in business and consumer intentions, which are not looking particularly good right now in this cost of living crisis, which everyone has to bear right now across the world, and therefore a slowdown in demand, which is really what the worry is behind the developments that we're seeing at present. Interest rates may accelerate that, but there is already a trend which suggests that we're going to see quite a substantial slowdown in growth over the next year or so. If that is indeed the case, then inflation will inevitably start coming down as well. That's the theory. So, yes, going back to target may well happen, even if we don't see dramatic increases in interest rates. That, of course, depends hugely on the assumptions that are being made in those forecasts being met, which include an end of the war at some point, but it looks like it's lasting considerably longer, and a return to some normality in prices, particularly oil prices. What we're seeing right now is that, indeed, there is an attempt to make up for some of the Russian oil from production in the Middle East, and that quite a lot of supplies of liquefied natural gas that was coming and going to the Far East in the past, I guess, diverged to places like Europe, which are so dependent on gas from Russia. And all that, of course, may ease some of the pressures that we're seeing right now, and also seeking alternative sources, both, in fact, for energy, but also for food. I think that's going to take quite some time and that perhaps some of the assumptions that are being made today, which the EU is trying to do as quickly as it possibly can in energy in particular, some of those assumptions may well not be met with the result that we're going to see high prices tank for longer than people are assuming. And if that is the case, then returning to target may take a little bit longer. But frankly, the most important thing right now is to ensure that the economies continue to function rather than being uh, sort of stuck to the monetarist idea that what we need is just bring inflation under control. If the cost of doing so is too great, then we should be slightly more relaxed about it and look more at growth, employment and so on, rather than just a strict targeting that has been pursued by central banks for quite some time, quite successfully. But right now we're in a position of crisis yet again. That's interesting. Are we seeing an increase in wages at all? There's definitely an increase in what people are getting paid right now to make up a little bit for inflation. What's happening, of course, in the UK is that we're still way below. If you look at the latest data, the overall, if you exclude bonuses, increase in wages has been just under 5%, which is not particularly high, given that we have an inflation rate, as you said earlier, about 9% and could get higher. The Bank of England thinks it's going to peak at over 10% later 
this year. So there is a real squeeze in incomes. And the interesting thing is that it's pretty unequally distributed as well. If you look at bonuses added to the overall wages, then they're doing okay, more or less keeping up with inflation. But of course, bonuses are being given in particular parts of the economy, mainly the financial sector and perhaps business services. But what you're finding is that large parts of the sectoral distribution that we're seeing at present receive very little by comparison to those high paid ones like banks and insurance companies and so on. So what you've got is that there are sectors such as even hospitality and tourism where you've seen huge staff shortages emerging, particularly in the UK and also in the US, are picking up in terms of wages very, very slowly. They're still way below the rate of inflation. And public services as well are getting very little in terms of increases in pay. If you look at the public sector in the UK, you have still all sorts of constraints in terms of how much of an increase workers can get. There's been a freeze for a while or partial freeze. The likelihood of all that changing and huge increases being given is not particularly great. And you're seeing already a number of areas where there is social and industrial unrest taking place. If you look at Europe, it's even worse. In fact, wages are rising really quite slowly, much more slowly than you would have expected. Of course, unemployment in Europe overall is higher. It's somewhere between 6 and 7% on average. Not bad, but of course, in the UK, we're talking about you know, 3.6, 3.7% unemployment, similar to the US. So the stress isn't as great in terms of staff shortages that we've got here. So wages are not rising anything like as fast. And if that's the case, then there isn't an inflationary spiral that will come as a result of having high prices staying with us for quite some time because demands for wages are a bit more subdued. So what you've got is high inflation, but no real push from wages so far. This could, of course, change quite significantly, but not so far. And it's one of the reasons why people think that perhaps inflation is transitory. And it isn't going to take hold the way it did, you know, back in the 70s and early 80s. But it's actually going to be coming down at some point. And probably if the assumptions about an end to the war and so on are correct at some point, come down quite sharply. Well, that would be good news. Can you remind me, Vicky, what is the assumption about when the war should end for those forecasts to be true? It's interesting you're asking that because reading the IMF, the International Monetary Fund's forecast, what they're saying is that the assumptions that we're making is that there will be an end to the war at some point soon, and without actually saying when, and that the other assumption is that the sanctions that were already in force or announced by the end of April, which is when they put the latest forecast, will be implemented, but they haven't assumed that there would be more changes. Of course, since then, we have seen more sanctions as well, which of course hit both Russia and, of course, you know, whatever happens in terms of Ukraine being able to use its ports to export food, for example, or grain, which is blocked at present. But also, of course, the impact on Europe itself and other countries, because there is a hit both sides if there are sanctions. So they have a downside scenario where inflation stays considerably higher. So gas prices or prices are something like 20 percent higher. And of course, growth is considerably lower as a result as well. So they're not assuming an embargo by Russia of gas exports to various countries, which of course has started already for some countries in Europe, or a complete ban, you know, much earlier ban in terms of 
the flow of other goods back and forwards from and to Russia. But those sanctions are now accelerating with the result that we're quite likely to see perhaps some faster increase in prices in the short term, but slower growth in the medium term, which means that at the end of the day, we may still get to the same point over a period of a couple of years. In other words, inflation really coming down quite substantially. Mm. So it sounds like we are headed for a few years of pain, really. Yes, well, the path may be different and we just can't tell exactly how it will all end, assuming it does, of course, end and we don't get involved into something much, much worse. Absolutely. The Bank of England has been hiking interest rates, and you've mentioned that already, as has the Fed, the ECB, the European Central Bank, I think are due to start in Q3 of this year. Is this likely to be effective? And I guess my question is, why didn't the central banks start increasing interest rates back in the summer? That might have slowed the pace of inflation. I think last summer, in the US, inflation was around 5%. I think the UK was slightly under that. Could we have avoided the, the surge in inflation that we're seeing now? Of course, no one could have anticipated the geopolitical change that has had a, a huge impact on the global economy. But why did the central banks take such a long time to do anything? I think at the beginning, the central banks thought that this imbalance between demand and supply was going to sort itself out. So it was temporary, it was transitory. And also, of course, there was a huge amount of uncertainty still about the path of the various economies. Clearly, there were differences in different countries, but we still had problems with COVID. Do you remember? I mean, November, just in the UK, we had more closures, more restrictions. And then again, of course, at the turn of the year, we had the Omicron variable. And although there was a substantial recovery for the world economy in 2021 in the UK, we had growth of 7.4% after a fall of nearly 10% the previous year in 2020. Other countries had similar, certainly in Europe, had similar paths, though I think the UK's one was fell more sharply, the GDP in 2020, than many others. But what we saw nevertheless was that there was a lot of volatility, quarter on quarter, and periods of slowdown. So there was still this uncertainty around by the central banks and the fiscal authorities, of course, which to a considerable extent carried on giving support as to when we could be certain that the trends we were seeing were now to be trusted, in other words, the growth in the economy, whether we're going to fall back again into the sort of period of slowdown and who knows what the new variant is going to bring. So remember, there were sectors of the economy like the travel industry, which have only just seen a serious opening up. So we had other services, including hospitality in Europe, still under restrictions until very recently, in mask wearing, hours of opening, etc. And then, of course, we still had China on and off closing down, given its zero COVID policy. So there was a lot of uncertainty around as to what 2022 would bring. And also, I think the very central banks expected that with those imbalances at some point being sorted out, inflation would start coming down. And it's interesting when you look at the forecasts that were being made towards the end of 2021, by the likes, say, of the World Bank, which looked at loads of prices of energy and non-energy products, so lots and lots of commodities, where it saw, of course, the very substantial increase in 2021, but then expected prices to either stay high, admittedly high, or come down a little bit. If that were to happen, which is what I think most people are putting into their forecasts, then inflation comes down very, very quickly. So you don't need prices 
to be falling for inflation to stabilize. You just need them to be stable. And if prices are stable, then if you don't have a big push from wages, then inflation drops very quickly. And remember again that we had negative inflation a year earlier, if you look at 2020, and deflation in a number of countries in Europe and elsewhere. So there was caution, I think, on the side of the central banks not to repeat mistakes that had been made before. It's worth remembering that during the Eurozone crisis in 2011, the European Central Bank put interest rates up twice that year, not realizing that actually the economy was already in recession. And in recession, it went and prices were negative for some time until the change of policy. So interest rates were turned negative and there was finally quantitative easing. So that was something that I think the central banks had uppermost in their minds when they were making decisions. But it is also worth bearing in mind that it's not just interest rates that we're talking about. It's also quantitative easing, by which I mean the huge monetary expansion that took place by the central banks intervening and buying government bonds in the secondary market and boosting their own balance sheets. They had to do that because the governments were borrowing from the fiscal side because there were so many stimulus measures they needed to put in to keep the economy going in the UK and elsewhere, furlough, keeping, in other words, employees on the books, payroll of companies, even when they weren't doing any work. In the US, of course, what you had was checks coming through the post and more checks coming through the post and increasing unemployment benefits because they just let everyone lose their jobs if they had to, but they actually sustained everyone through this extra fiscal stimulus. Well, someone had to fund this. And although investors were quite prepared to come and buy the original issuing of those bonds, then the central bank would come in, buy them, keep yields low as a result. So we had that operation as well. So what central banks are doing now that is seeing that actually inflation is a real problem and isn't going away to a considerable extent because of the extra pressure of the war in Ukraine and the impact that has had, is that the first thing they're doing is they're easing on their monetary easing operations. In other words, they're slowing them down or stopping them. And you mentioned the European Central Bank. What it's going to do first, I think, is announce that its own asset purchase scheme will come to an end and then start increasing interest rates possibly in July. But it's keeping options open. We think it will keep options open to go back again and start buying bonds too if the situation changes. So there are these two aspects. So basically, in answer to your question, everyone thought that if you just looked at what international authorities were saying or financial institutions were saying at the time, that this was temporary, even though perhaps it would be higher than had been anticipated. And increasing interest rates would necessarily lead to anything major in terms of slowing that down. It would slow itself by sort of normal rules of demand and supply. If you introduce so much money printing, quantitative easing, which is what we saw during the pandemic, would you not expect inflation to surge because you flooded the economy with so much liquidity. So would you not anticipate if you are head of Bank of England, you know, the Fed, that inflation would be more than just transitory because of the amount of money that was pumped into the economy? Yes, but of course, what you could do is then slow that down. So what we're going to be seeing in the US finally is quantitative tightening. In other words, reducing the central bank's balance sheet, but just selling those bonds or not replacing them when they're mature. So that is already the path that the Federal Reserve is moving towards. But it had done that or tried to do that in the past decade. And of course, it had to stop doing that because what it meant is that interest rates started going up 
the fear of the dollar going up was a real issue because, of course, it meant that quite a lot of countries that had during the financial crisis borrowed quite a lot in dollars and other currencies, particularly in dollars, would find it much more difficult to fund their debt. In other words, you know, pay the interest on the debt looked like it was increasing because basically against your currency, what you owed went up because the dollar was going up. It's exactly what's going on right now. I'm afraid for loads and loads of countries that had to borrow during the COVID crisis, that suddenly they're finding themselves very near default stage. And the World Bank is worried about that and has a special fund to assist, plus the IMF, of course, which is getting quite heavily involved. So the poorer nations in particular are in difficulty. Food prices, of course, have contributed hugely to that. But a strong dollar, because of the reaction of the Fed, immediately means that the debt issues of quite a lot of countries get worse and someone needs to step in and help. So there is responsibility from the central banks, particularly if they are part of a country like the US, which is so important in terms of it being reserve currency and also one in which lots of transactions are made to sort of watch what it does. So it restricts a little bit their actions. But yes, you're quite right. One should have expected inflation to go up, but the whole point was to get out of this deflationary situation you were in. And then once things stabilize, react. The problem was that now with this extra inflation increase that we're seeing because of the war in Ukraine, the increase in interest rates and also the reduction in the monetary contribution that you make or have made in the past needs to be so drastic to bring inflation down, given that there's so many external factors that cause it, that it just killed the world economy. So it's a difficult situation to be in. It's a very delicate balance. I found it interesting that, was it last week or the week before, Janet Yellen put her hand up and said, look, we got it wrong. And I wonder if the Bank of England will say that as well. But we're hearing a narrative now that monetary policy may not be effective in fixing inflation, i.e., you know, the interest rate hikes are not going to do very much, partially because of the increase in the ongoing supply shocks. There are just so many variables that are compounding each other. It almost feels like the central banks have lost control, really. Perhaps. But if you look at what happened during COVID, if it hadn't been for the central bank's intervention, not just in a record low interest rates, they were already quite low, of course, but the quantitative easing that took place, which remember, it happened at the time of the financial crisis, then carried on through this period. So in the UK, for example, but 2019, as a result of this, the government was able to increase quite easily without paying more in terms of interest every year, more or less in terms of the overall amount it was paying. It increased its own debt threefold. So the stock of debt increased threefold over that period, just before the COVID hit. If it hadn't been for QE, the entire period since the financial crisis would have seen lower growth. And if it had not been for QE, the COVID recession would have been a big depression. So there was really no other choice but to step in and do precisely what they've done. There is a question mark as to whether they should have carried on for as long as they have done. But as I said at the beginning, there was really no certainty about the recovery and about COVID, new variants and so on. And there had been periods of very little growth in the economy. So if you then raise interest rates or reduce your support just at a time when the economy is slowing down, then you could engineer a new recession. So maybe that could have been the right thing to do at the time. But I think QE overall, quantitative easing, 
has been helpful rather than the other way around. Yes, we now have an inflation problem compounded by what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, but it is arguably a better problem to have than one of continuous deflation and very low growth and huge unemployment and a real problem of social unrest and where we go from here, which would have been the alternative in my view. Maybe with hindsight, you could think of a better balance, but just remember all the uncertainties we've been going through over the last, even just over the last six months, or even the, the months before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yes, there are so many unvariables. And I think it just goes to show how unpredictable the future is. So difficult to forecast for that reason. What do you think the Bank of England and the government should do, or perhaps should do differently to manage the economy through this turbulent time? For example, are there any fiscal measures that they should be introducing that they haven't so far? But that's, of course, for the governments to do. Most of the central banks are quite independent, although they have, like in the US, to have a look also at the economy and employment in particular, and employment is doing well in the US. There are, in some countries, serious issues in relation to staff shortages. In some ways, it's because of COVID again. When you look at this, raising interest rates isn't going to sort out some of your staff shortages with problems. What people have done is either exited the market or gone and done something completely different during the period of COVID when loads and loads of sectors were closing down. So it's completely understandable that they would do that. So there we are, or there we were with all these pressures and inability actually of governments to sort them out. And fiscal stimulus measures continued, of course, for quite some time through 2021, although they were being reduced. So what you saw actually over that period was that there was, in fact, a fiscal retrenchment taking place. So even here in the UK, we borrowed a lot less in the last financial year than we did the previous year. And there were still measures at various stages. So the furlough scheme was reintroduced at various stages during 2021 and then taken out finally in September. So you did have quite a lot of support given and then withdrawn. I mean, in the UK, we announced, unlike most other countries, and now have implemented an increase in taxation, which lots of other countries haven't done. So in other words, tightening the fiscal side even more. So you have to watch it again, what type of balance you have between fiscal and monetary policy. If you tighten both monetary policy and fiscal policy, then that's a, a real issue for the economy looking ahead. And it's not surprising in the slightest that even before the war in Ukraine, what you saw in the UK was quite a slowdown in growth taking place in early 2022, with in fact hardly any growth in February and a fall in GDP in March. The latest data I looked at, which was the retail data showing what people did in April, where they did actually increase their spending. Most of the spending increase that we saw went on tobacco, alcohol and confectionery. So it seems to me that the consumer decided to either drown their sorrows or you know, sweeten the period that they're going through. So the consumer, of course, as we know, is king. So it'll be interesting to see how they change the way in which they spend in the months ahead to cope with whatever's going on around. So the issues, therefore, are what can you do to ensure that the economies still function, despite the sort of concerns you've got right now in terms of needing to perhaps tighten up, particularly on the monetary side. So on the fiscal front, there's been some new relaxation, certainly in the UK, to help the cost of living crisis. In Europe, we've seen similar change is taking place, a lot of subsidizing, fewer costs, reducing VAT in various areas. So 
quite a lot of support being given right now to ensure that people continue to spend because this cost of living crisis is hitting everybody. It's particularly bad in the UK because we've also, on the staff front, we've lost lots and lots of people following Brexit and COVID who just haven't come back. And both here and in the US, we've seen people just withdrawing from the market completely. So there, there is an issue looking at the structure of the economy as we've emerged from COVID and so on, and making absolutely certain that we don't end up really damaging it. I mean, big sections of our manufacturing industry are suffering right now, like the car industry, for example. And there are still still supply problems in loads of areas. So it is a very tricky point at which to make decisions, both on the fiscal and the monetary front. But I'm suspecting that right now, given everything that's happening, there should be more emphasis on looking at what can be done on the fiscal front to have a dent, if you like, at this increased cost situation that most people are finding themselves in, including possibly cutting VAT so that both prices come down and people find that their real disposable incomes don't suffer. Because what the expectation is now, and the Bank of England expects us and says so, is that 2022 is going to see the sharpest fall in households' personal disposable incomes since records begun. So that's quite a shock to the system. That's quite a shock. Can you remind me, Vicky, how many people have left the UK as a result of Brexit? I've got half a million in my mind. Is that correct? Nobody's absolutely certain because, of course, what you've also got is quite a lot of people who were here deciding to convert into the settled and pre-settled status. And apparently about six million have done that. So people who weren't necessarily counting before. But loads of EU workers have gone. But the figures that are being quoted now are that something like 1.3 million people have exited the labour market and have become inactive. So it's quite a substantial number who have just either left the country or have just exited the areas they were working in before and now no longer count themselves as looking for work. That, of course, could include students and others. So it's a bit of a fluid figure, but that's what people think, of whom, of course, the 1.3 million, a certain number will have been EU workers. And it's interesting listening to everyone talking about the chaos in the airline and airport sector. And the figure put by people who run trade bodies is that some 30% of the workers in that sector were EU workers who have gone. And we need them, <laughs> especially now, don't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, you know, the other issue about inflation here in the UK, which is indeed quite high, not just because we have put all this energy prices up, is because we've had for a longer period than other supply chain problems. And a lot of those have to do with imports from the EU, which, as we know, have been falling, in fact since we left the EU properly. So that's an extra constraint of our economy. Yeah. Now I've got to ask you this question, Vicky, are we going into a recession? So is the UK headed for a recession and do you think we're going to have a global recession? Elizabeth think that we are indeed about to have a recession and you can see that perhaps in some of the financial market indicators. But it all depends what governments do. And it all depends, of course, what happens in Russia and Ukraine. 
But the forecast that exists right now, there's the real forecast from monetary authorities and others, and by most commentators, suggest just stagflation. In other words, we are for a period at any rate going to have very little growth and quite high inflation until it starts coming down along the way that I suggested earlier, when supply and demand sorts itself out or there is an end to the war or and or energy supplies sort of normalize, which I think would be quite an important part of the whole equation. But it would vary hugely from country to country. So what we're seeing right now is that, yes, there's serious concern in the US. We see that in some of the data. And then you get some very, very good job figures coming, suggesting that actually the economy is going to do quite well this quarter in the US, but not doing so well, perhaps in some other countries which are faced with slightly different problems. So all the ones that are quite close to Russia and Ukraine in terms of their borders with them, or those that really depend on gas and oil on Russia, are already seeing very high inflation and also slow growth in their economy. So it's not going to be evenly spread in any way. And then, of course, we're probably going to have China coming out of its COVID restrictions and then suddenly increasing its output again very significantly. So it's going to be, again, A, mixed, B, volatile, and C, uncertain. A very challenging time for the consumer, a very challenging and interesting time for the investor, but so important to know what's going on. Vicky, I want to say thank you today for sharing so much, lots of food for thought. Thank you very much. And I do agree that it is pretty difficult for a consumer to decide, you know, what is best to do and for an investor to decide where to put one's money. Of course, we've seen since the turn of the year, a very substantial drop in many share prices after quite a good year, I think, 2021. And the question is, which sectors in particular are going to be affected? And the consumer is going to play a very big role. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse, or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.